0: Hello and... Welcome to Fintech Insider Insights. My name is David Breer. And in today's show, we're going to be following up on a discussion that we had after our last After Dark event. Uh, In one of the discussions, we talked about new banking business models, and it seems to have uh, really sort of struck a chord with people. What are they? What is it that's really sort of driving the force behind them for, for companies to really be changing those business models that have been there for a long time before? But before we start on this, we want to tell you some of the things that we're working on here at 11. NFS. And here are a few words from our sponsors. Blockchain Insider, our podcast dedicated to all things crypto, is back by popular demand. Join me, Simon Taylor, alongside Visa's head of crypto, Kai Sheffield, as we're joined every other week by special guests to discuss their take on the hottest crypto news. We'll also be diving into DeFi, stablecoins, NFTs, and a whole lot more. New episodes drop every other Wednesday. Listen and subscribe now wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Temenos is the world's leader in banking software, helping over 3,000 banks serve over 1.2 billion people. Our purpose is to make banking better. Together with our community, we make banks more successful, individuals better banked, and society better served. With our software, banks can create more human, differentiated digital experiences – hyper-efficient business models to benefit the bank and their customers, and simplify and transform their back office. Our clients are the highest-performing banks with cost-income ratios which are twice better than the industry average. Learn more at temenos.com.
0: right folks let's get in with the show then so today me and a few of the other people from 11fs and around the industry are going to be talking about this topic um we've got making his fintech insider debut my colleague and a co-host for the day tim hurd how are you doing tim
2: i'm very well thank you yeah excited for this i've got myself uh, an exciting new microphone as well so uh fully prepared
0: you turned up, pull in the big show. You're like, good microphone. Like, higher your quality of your your, your equipment. The better the conversation has to be as well. You realize that's a, like a trade off, right? No pressure, no pressure. <laughs> well, joining us today, Tim, we have two amazing guests as well. Uh, making a really, uh, I mean, Janine, I think you're you're almost on as as much as I am at this stage, <laughs> uh, given the the frequency, which is which is fan- fantastic. But, but joining us again, Janine, her CEO of Innovate Finance. How are you doing?
3: Thanks, Dave. Thank you guys so much for having me
0: here. Really well. It's, uh, yeah, I mean, it hasn't been long, is it? After Dark feels like about 15 seconds ago, doesn't it? But uh, that was, what, four weeks ago, I guess now, wasn't oh, wow. it? But, uh, True. Yes, but yeah, right. time flies when you're having fun, which is good. <laughs> I say fun. Uh, We'll not get into the England football stuff too much. We'll we'll come back to that later. But uh, uh, and joining Ginny, making his fintech insider debut though, we have Sam Sidhu, who is the president and CEO over at Customers Bank in the US. Uh, Sam, before we get started, can you tell us a little bit more about Customers Bank?
4: Sure, absolutely. Well, well, firstly, David, thank you so much for having me, and and hopefully I'll be waiting for my. uh my debut uh, gift at home, um, but uh, I'm really glad to be here. Um, you know, Customers Bank is an 11-year-old startup bank. It's grown from about $250 million in assets to, uh, you know, nearly $19 billion in assets in a relatively short, you know, history, uh, making it one of, uh, beginning last year, one of America's, you know, 100, 100 largest banks. Um, you know, we've achieved the success by combining the the established expertise of a regional community bank. With the modern offerings and platforms of a technology company, very relevant for today's discussion, Um, you know, we have a branch light format Uh, it's augmented by highly talented experienced um, and successful banking teams who deliver the full services of the bank under a single point of contact relationship manager driven. uh, You know, type model, Uh, we only have 12 branches, um, but we have opened up, uh, you know, traditional non banking offices in Boston, Chicago, Dallas, Harrisburg, New York, Orlando, Philadelphia and Providence. Wow, that's uh,
0: that's some uh, serious growth, and, and obviously, I think with with the regards to the the impact that everything's happened with COVID as well, we're ticking all the boxes talking about COVID here as well. Um, then, I mean, you guys have really been a, a bit of a forefront of uh, helping customers through that period, haven't you?
4: Yes, absolutely. You know, we uh, we were uh, in in twenty twenty one the number two lender in the country uh, in PVP loans. Um, you know, we put out north of well north of three hundred thousand loans to. You know, to for about ten billion dollars. So we're very proud of of the impact we had, you know, during COVID. But it really allowed us to flex our, you know, technology, you know, capabilities and technology prowess at a time when, uh, you know, I think banks are really focusing on table stakes type technology, and we were really able to show that we're we're well beyond that. Mm.
0: Well, let's let's get into it then, because I I think it's a a super interesting topic, and we, I mean, we've seen business model disruption in lots of other industries you know outside of financial services in terms of uh, you know really the the business model of an industry being one of the last things that really does get disrupted um but arguably you know where are we today you know we've seen innovation happening we've seen disruption happening in different slices of what financial services is but i mean tim maybe to 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 get us going on this one have we have we seen people Digitize enough to keep up with the competition, and and have we seen the the sort of disruption start to happen in the business model yet, or is it still early?
2: I think it's um it's early to an extent. I think I think what we we see is that there's a lot of focus, obviously, on on, on strategy or, or digitization as a, a strategic output um rather than necessarily a, a cultural one. So I think there's a bit of a lag time here from from strategy translating through to to culture, which is you know which is quite interesting because you know, I think it's Peter Drucker who said that, uh, culture eats strategy for breakfast, which has always been one of my, my favorite quotes, but it's not, it's not a new quote. Um, so it's not something that that's new here. Um, and cultures have been changing within organizations for, you know, for for hundreds of years, right? I guess that the difference is that now they have to change much more quickly than ever before because the world outside of the organization is changing much more quickly as well. Um, and so i think it's it's something that organisations have now identified i'm not necessarily sure that they've found the best plan to keep up with their their digital strategy from a cultural perspective Mm. And it's, that's an interesting chat. I mean, Janine, you, you deal with, uh, with your role
0: at Innovate Finance, you know, not just one organization, but multiple organizations in, in that ecosystem. I mean, how do you see that uh, businesses or, or banks, you know, big banks in that, uh, that um, Innovate Finance community are, are sort of keeping up with that transformation?
3: yeah I mean, I would absolutely echo a lot of the comments that Tim just mentioned. I think we've obviously seen so many changes to the business model so from of course, how banks engage with the client and the customer, but through to the middle office innovations so through to managing back office services as well, there's really been a renewed focus on on how they can transform how they can digitalize. I think that was also really rapidly. Um, enhanced in a way by COVID and the necessity to move things onto a digital basis. So we've seen an increase in terms of appetite. But I do agree with Tim that there's quite often a gap between the intent and the strategy and the absolute absolute implementation of that as well.
0: Mm. How how about yourself, Sam? Where in this journey do you think we are? Uh, I don't want to uh, I don't want to start referencing stickers, Eleven FS producers, but uh, like it, fe- it feels like we're early on this journey. We're not early in the innovation or the disruption journey, but we're very early in the business model disruption journey. I- I'd, I'd suggest.
4: Yeah, absolutely. I think that you know even some of the most tech-forward <clears throat> banks or forward-thinking banks, um, you know, would uh, would agree that there's a lot of work to do because part of it is on the consumer and the customer. Part of it is on legacy technology, regulatory framework, and part of it is also on the stakeholders, <clears throat> boards, investors, research analysts who are, who are understanding where you're spending your, your technology you know, spend. To give you perspective, uh, you know, a year and a half ago, uh, when I first joined the bank as chief operating officer in, in January of 2020, I went to a conference and I you know, talked about cloud-based uh, you know, core providers. I talked about you know, APIs. And eyes were glossing over among some of our, some of our uh, you know largest investors or potential largest investors. I think a lot has changed in the last 18 months, and a lot of that has been has happened as a result of um, the forced uh, digitization through through the pandemic, but also importantly, <clears throat> the increased competition uh, that has come from the fintechs. it has been it has been incredible, it has been fierce, and it's got everyone's attention. Um, and I think there are some banks that are going to be very excited. For the next three to five years and many others <clears throat> most others who are on their back foot right now
0: yeah i think that that's a really interesting point a lot of people um you know we have a lot of conversations and i mean perversely the thing that people push back on with fintech is like yeah but what's their business model like uh, yeah they've got like you know, yes they've got five million customers but are, how are they really making you know revenue or how do they have the profitability in the way that people would would point at but to your point there sam the the disruption isn't just the uh you know net interest margins being made in the same way as financial services have made them forever it's the the fundamental shift in how the the product, you know, and, and in this instance, the product is really a service that's being created to, to to people, how that changes the way in which the work is really done. I mean, we've got fintech banks in the UK who can run a current account for 10 pounds when we know high street banks all cost 200 pounds. Like that. That impact has to be emulated, not just, uh, I, I think, sort of reduced into the the existing sort of form factor in terms of how things have been done. So you, you talk a little bit there about, Sam, like customer and the, the benefit to customer. You know, uh, this is something I guess we've been... You know, since, really since 2008 and the changes with the, the, you know, the competition mandate in the UK and everything that's, that's gone around that drive for real competition in the market. That feels to me like the the critical part of this, because uh, you know, while organizations could choose to do this or you know pretend like it was all fine and you know nothing will change, that that sort of optionality around uh, the the sort of revolution that we're sort of really seeing, both from a technological, from a, an experiential, but as you say, from a business model perspective, there's sort of no opting out of this now, is there?
4: That's absolutely right, and you know we witnessed it you know firsthand, and what I can say is. The competition uh, has forced uh, you know, banks and, ad- and other fintech participants to really focus on the customer experience and the customer obsession. You know, We have it in our, in our name at Customers Bank. We do it extremely well, arguably one of the best, if not the best, from a human perspective. Where we can do a lot better is how we touch our digital customers. Uh, and right now, we still view our digital branch as a different branch. That's supported by high touch, um, which is again, like I said, many of the tech forward banks are still have different ways they think about their channels, even though we all want to aspire to have an omni channel, omni channel seamless experience. So I think from that perspective, there's, there's a long, a long road to go, but the obsession with the customer on a UI, UX and a customer service perspective and that hybrid approach is really what we are looking to differentiate ourselves on.
0: Mm, yeah, there's a there's a lot in that, isn't there? Like you say, being human in a digital age is a very different challenge, isn't it? Um, but one uh, one we all sort of come to come to terms with pretty quickly through this, because you know that that sort of differentiation is that sort of human, that empathetic view. You know, the the sort of person who's there for you to support you through that process, isn't it? But I mean, Jan- Janine, what, what do you think? Is sort of driving this transformation then towards towards these these newer business models? Are we seeing Is is it a, the technology is now allowing people to do these things or is it a, a customer pull in the way that we've just described it?
3: So I think it's a mix of both. Um, and I, I just have to say, Sam, I love the obsession with the customer phrase because I think I'll, I'll definitely use that because we talk a lot about putting the customer at the center. But I think it's a mix of a change in customer expectation uh, in terms of a personalization, in terms of a catering to their needs and their their wants. But I also think it is very much uh, in terms of competitive advantage as well. And whether that is the large institutions competing with the new players or some of the large institutions competing with the other large institutions it's very much a race to see who can best provide for the consumer at the end of the day. Who can do that most efficiently, most effectively, at a reduced cost? And so we are seeing the utilization of some of these technologies push that uh, that motivation as well.
0: Mm. It's um it's sort of doing it in that digital age, isn't it? I mean, it's um it's very um, trendy to sort of talk about purpose driven organizations. You know, it's like what's your what's your purpose? Like what's the what's the thing you believe in? Because it inspires people to get out of bed every day to come and do it. There's no business on the world that didn't start with a purpose. Do you know what I mean? It's whether it's whether that purpose is still remembered and delivered in the new age, in the way that things were set out to do. I mean, the origin stories of most banks across the world are virtuous in the way in which they've been created. It's whether they're manifesting themselves in a digital world or or not, really. I mean, one of the things, I, I guess, Tim, that's been, it's almost been the, the, the sort of um, the promised land and the reality of, Uh, to date has been quite different. I always sort of describe it a little bit like um, if anybody's been out on a a night having a drink, when you go into that that kebab house, that picture of that burger and the burger that you really get, it's completely different things, isn't it? You know, like they took the, Best lighting, best pictures, the promised land was going to be a beautiful thing, like the promise in a digital world was one to one relationships. It was using all of the power of the data to create you know tailored products, tailored services um digital banking hasn't really lived up to that potential yet, but it still has that potential to get there so I mean what's stopping us getting to that point? do you think
2: I think um and I'll riff on this one for a bit because I think this is one of my uh, one of my uh, bugbears i guess with the with the world around me and um you know as you know david i spent a lot of time helping companies around the world to, to change their cultures right and make them more more well postmodern in a way i guess but what i've found is that in many cases there these organizations are looking to answer the right question with the wrong answer or the wrong question with the right answer so by that i mean it's it's we've been innovating for for hundreds of thousands of years as as human beings right um and all these organizations seem to have forgotten the fact that therefore, behind great ideas are great people, or in corporate terms behind great products are great people so there's all of this talk that focuses on the product, the product, the product, the product right which is which is great, right, but I think a lot of these organizations then have looked at refining their product development processes rather than the capacities and capabilities of the people behind them to be able to produce products effectively. And I think, you know, you see words thrown out there, ways of working, agile, in my case, as a sort of head of entrepreneurship for a while, you know, that was another buzzword, that organizations are trying to come at this from, from different angles. But fundamentally, unless you look and empower towards your, the people within your organization and give them the space and support and tools and techniques to, to do cool stuff, um, then you're going to have difficulty competing with a organisations that are much more agile in terms of the way that they go about product delivery because they're not encumbered by legacy infrastructure and ways of working. Um, but also, you're going to lose the the war on talent because why would you go and work for a HSBC or Lloyd's when you can go to Google and have free salmon for lunch every day, right? You know, it's uh, uh, which is probably a lot better than the uh, the picture of the kebab, mate. So <laughs> it's um, you know, why would you? And and and, and having been responsible for trying to change company cultures to make them more entrepreneurial or intrapreneurial again even when organizations have got to the point where they see that as a competitive edge it's one thing to have that role on paper but um as i found out very very different to have it in practice because you just have to justify your own existence every day rather than really get on with anything so yeah well
0: it's interesting though i think success is i mean sam we you know bringing you into this i mean you're you weren't the CEO of the business when you joined the business. But actually, you really were. I mean, I, I talked to a CDO uh, this week at an organization who described himself as the canary in the mine. You know, he's there to to sense whether change is really required uh, and help the organization change that. But once you get that momentum and you get that trust and you show the benefit of the new and different ways of doing it, actually that leads to people wanting you to do bigger and greater things to to change it, which is which is, I think is an amazing thing, isn't it? If people. Are genuinely bought into the outcome that you're looking to achieve, which is, you know, if you're going to call yourself a customer's bank, you better be customer centric, right? Uh, but actually, if you do that, and people are bought into the outcome, then showing them the new way of doing that within a digital world leads to trust and leads to all sorts of other opportunities.
4: Yeah, that's absolutely right, David. And I think that, uh, as I mentioned before, you know, we consider ourselves to be very tech forward. Having said that, we have a long way to go. Um, especially when compared to you know, some of the true to pure play technology companies that are that are operating in the financial services space. But, you know, the example that I, I give is that, you know, we while PPP was going on, you know, in, in, in our organization, um, you know, we had customers that had um, a top five bank account. They had a a top fintech bank account. I mean, these are business customers. So you can kind of guess what that list looks like. The squares, the cabbages, the Ondex, the world. And then they had a bank, at, you know, an account at, at customers' bank. So they had the relationship at customers' bank, they had the technology, you know, um, uh, quick working capital line, receivables line, you know, on a digital platform, then I have some, maybe some FX needs, or I have my mortgage at at, at a JP Morgan, and that's how I think about my overall relationship. Um, you know, I think that this focusing on the customer uh, is something that the fintechs do very, very well, as they should, uh, because the differentiating factor... And I think where they, but they are they are uh, bootstrapping the customer service. Uh, you know, I joke that when you call one of these fintechs, uh, you typically are talking to an Ivy League educated, uh, you know, team member who has you know equity in the company who is answering some of your customer service questions initially because they, they know how important it is to be customer obsessed. You know, while while you're starting your 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 company, and I think what we're 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 seeking to do, you know, at at, at our bank. Is is truly taking that hybrid approach, which is to say, we have the experienced bankers who have been doing this for decades, and we will launch a digital SBA product, or we launch a PPP product, or we we're going to have those experienced bankers backing this up, not a call center, or not an Ivy League graduate who's probably only doing this for twelve to twenty four months, and then the and then the training wheels go off.
0: Sure, yeah, it's a it is a a different the the sustainability around the growth around that model is 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 slightly different, isn't it? I mean janine I guess the the point on you know really looking at very tailored services, very you know we've seen quite generic financial services over the last decade, haven't we? It's sort of mass market sprawling, you know you sort of fit in this bucket of risk or appetite somewhere in this sense, but I guess one of the things that we' sort of emerging is much more hyper personalized and not and not in the sense of like I can pick the color of my backdrop on my you know my on my thing, but actually like Community driven financial services, you know, we're seeing uh, financial services being created for different ethnic minorities. We're seeing uh, LGBTQ uh, banks being created to specifically cater to the, uh, to the needs of different types of people. Um, I mean. This feels like a. I mean, I think you know, moat is a sort of a well-trodden term, but it seems like quite an interesting moat for these fintechs. Because I mean, we, we've had lots of conversations on Fintech Insider about, you know, is it a, uh, is it a feature? Is it a product? Is it a business? And actually in some of these instances, it feels like it's a product that should sit in a much broader piece. But actually, the the momentum and the the customer base that some of these players are attracting seems really significant in order to uh, be able to serve people who have felt underserved to date. So do you think that will be a trend that we'll continue to see?
3: I, I do, absolutely. And I think you've really described it quite perfectly there in a way because we're at a positioning, we're at a point now where... There are certain companies that are able to almost understand more about you in a way than you understand about yourself by looking at the data, looking at information, and then being able to provide or suggest solutions for you that you maybe hadn't done on your own behalf. And so we we are entering a new world. I mean, we talk a lot about embedded finance, but I think it's really interesting to look at the overlap between financial services and some other sectors, because when you bring together then those two uh, those two data pools, you come to a position where you're able to really identify an entire new set of solutions and set of products. Um, so I absolutely think that that's the way of the future, and that is very much where we're headed.
0: Yeah. It's going to be fascinating to see that that sort of, you know bank of one mentality and and how we get to that i think you know and and it not being a um Impersonal, generic—you know, uh, uh, like lack of empathy, experience—and and it, but all of the all of the things that we're seeing, as you say, from a technological perspective and from an experiential perspective, leaders to to see that that is possible now. But but I guess uh, go on, sorry, Jenny.
3: I was just going to say as well, um, Dave. Just to your point in terms of the financial inclusion and financial wellness, I think this is really important as well because you look at, for example, underserved segments of the population that, for example, haven't been able to source credit because they didn't have the right data. And then you have new entrants, new players that are able to create a background history and a credit rating history for some of these individuals. So it's not only enabling current individuals currently within the system to have access to better and more specific products, but it's actually widening out uh, to much a broader foundation of customers and clients as well that have been previously underserved or even excluded from financial services. Well it's it's interesting isn't it on that as you say
0: and i completely agree because it's that's then a it's a confluence of things isn't it we're we're seeing you know commoditization of technology and the 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 uni economics of being a financial services player Air quotes don't work particularly effectively. Everybody on a podcast, but just just think that I just did air quotes. Okay, um, but but the unit economics of being a financial services player being driven down, but at the same time, experiential uh, benefit for customers being driven up. We're seeing you know that the hallowed ten times better service and ten times cheaper cost. Like this is playing out now in the market, which is which is amazing, and that allows. All of these different segments to be served in a way that they've just never been served before, which is just amazing. Like that brings such depth to the experiences, and and also, I mean, depth as 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 you say, Janine, in terms of the uh, the differentiators that different players can really sort of bring to the market. But I mean, Tim, we we've touched on this a, a little bit through through here, and actually a number of times, almost culture has come up as a as an inhibitor because. I mean, I don't think anybody could argue that these things are are, are needed. You know, not not just uh, you know, not just optionally, but but it's a necessary thing to to serve the market. So, but but where are you sort of seeing cultural transformation and digital transformation playing out? Because I think everybody gravitates towards features and functionality, but but often the the inhibitor is 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 really you know the organization itself
2: yeah and i think when i oh hey you have to you have to get to a uh a fixed definition of what company culture is and what it represents right because i think there's there's some variation on that point um i mean generally i see it as a as a pattern of basic assumptions or organizational norms right which when you dig into it that's really difficult to change right things that are, are normal are normal for a reason um and what organizations have found particularly difficult is to change that using functional tools right so for example you know i I regularly speak to to c-suite individuals who say things like uh oh i've incentivized innovation in my company but my people aren't innovating Well, well the point is that that's only half the battle you know this kind of hard culture misses the the soft culture element which is that there are organizational norms that go beyond you know, audit trails and emails and, and, and performance management. It's, it's the kind of inverted commas, water cooler conversations in the organization. How do you change that in such a way that it empowers people to feel like they can innovate? Because, you know, some of the discussions we've had are around kind of more people-centric, human-centric innovation, product development, and so forth. Well, you need to treat the people in your company as the people they are, and rather than just seeing it this kind of big... Amorphous entity of you know the organization um and I think if you if you give people the the opportunity to feel empowered rather than just telling them they're empowered that's when you create this kind of organizational space where creativity can really flourish um, and I think that that requires uh, a set of experiential learnings within the organization, which takes time um so what i 've seen a few organizations do is basically throw out um either what they call experiments or or problem statements out to the organization. Um, And then there's some kind of call to action for people to to respond to that, provide a solution. Um, And then rather than take the solution off those people, you then work with them to develop it and so forth, up to some kind of dragon's den slash shark tank, depending on where you are in the world, Um, uh, venture capital, investment day sort of thing. And yes, it's cool if they come up with cool ideas that can be invested in, but it's also fine if they don't, because the experiences they've learned from sort of 12 weeks in the organization occupying a sort of discretionary space, moving around the fringes, you know, asking people for feedback on a product idea, building business cases, doing customer research, right, all on top of their day jobs is is something that you really build through experience and not necessarily through classroom training. And then you find ways of harnessing that through reflection uh, and reflective activities to kind of add to organizational learning so that you can kind of develop creativity as a skill uh, and create a greater sense of empowerment, Mm. Yeah there's this there's, there's definitely something
0: in that in terms of giving people the permission to go and try and think laterally about how you solve those problems rather than just surfacing them but being part of solving them right it's the you know it is the it is the dream if you care so much about it to bring it up you probably be the right person to help champion getting other people on board and moving it forwards which is important but i think there's I think there's something in that though about almost how you don't lose yourself in that transition to a certain degree because it's you know as like I say I've spoken to quite a few canaries in the mine over the, over the years in terms of the the sense of it the 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 significance of change within the organisation I I always sort of think people talk about different operational models in like a people everybody has to emulate the Spotify way of doing agile or that, and it's never that. It's actually you've always got to sort of find your own way of doing it within your own context, within your own culture, with your own team. Uh, I mean, Sam, this is something you guys have done pretty well with embracing digital, but not losing that that human touch in terms of your experience. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about that? Because I mean, that's a that's a difficult transition. You don't want to you don't want to gain all of these new things at the same time as losing what makes you great in the first place.
4: Right, right. You know, and I'll just touch on something going back to culture for a second before I talk about uh, that. Is that you know, uh, and you guys in the UK will appreciate this. You know, we have this uh, thing at the bank where we say if you see something, say something. Um, and it's uh, it's the the concept is is that someone in Treasury was sending it around. Um, you know, one year, one month, one year, three year, five year, 10 year treasuries on a daily basis and creating an Excel spreadsheet and whatever that, whether whether it was 15 minutes or 30 minutes or 45 minutes, it wasn't just passing on something that was received. Um, You know, and I think that trying to create a culture, which is, you know, calling those, 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 those situations out and saying, how can this be automated? How can this be made more efficient? Um, And then doing it in a forum where it's collaborative uh, where how can how can we help? Do you not have the resources? How do we? And I think that that's been something that has worked very well. To to one of the points that was made earlier about you know the the, it's the, the culture in your company defines how you might need to try to change the culture with an innovation mindset. So I think it's been uh, that that's one of the tools that we have used that has worked and resonated really well with the team and has helped make you know exponential change um, over a period of time. It doesn't happen overnight, but it, but it does it does work. Uh, so going back to your question, David, about, uh, about balancing digital while, while keeping the human touch, you know, I think that um, because it's been uh, such a focus and a core tenant of Customers Bank since its inception, we're a relatively young organization, only about 11 years old, um, but um, our first, you know, capital raise, I've been a board member for eight years, that's why, you know, I still talk, you live on the management team for a year and a half. Uh, uh, as we said, uh, you know, high touch supported by high tech. And I think the way that we have organized it internally and, and, you know, and high tech was, um, you know, was uh, iPad. It was actually a MacBook initially, and then it was an iPad and then the high the high touch service in your office, you know, 12 by seven or 12 by six, whatever, whatever made sense from that perspective. Um, You know, where where we're evolving to is high tech supported by high touch as a dual track, you know, type customer experience for those who come through the digital branch. And I think the important part is making sure that the experienced bankers are a part of that digitally sourced customer that comes into the bank. Not that we have a different team or, 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 or you know, um, just because, you know, our typical SBA lender only has, uh, you know, 10 loans a year or whatever the number may be. Um, as a result, they, you know, we need to have a separate team that can have higher volume number of relationships. Uh, we're, we're making sure that we're cross pollinating the team. Um, You know, whether they come in through the traditional branch, even though we're branch light, that's not typically how they come in. They come in through one of our relationship managers, whether they come in through the traditional model or through the digital model.
0: Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? Actually bringing, uh, you know, bringing that, some of that old way of thinking through to those new pieces again it's it's what differentiates experience from each other when everything else starts to become you know more commoditized around the sides because i mean if you look at if you look at a bank and look at a banking stack and you could look at you know slices you know there's going to be very similar things that happen and actually the difference is going to be at that front part in terms of what the Customer feels when they're using your services as opposed to as opposed to other people's. But uh, on that note, we better take a little bit of a quick break. We'll be back with you very shortly.
1: Customers expect more from their digital experience, and their personal finance is no exception. BlueShift empowers fintechs and financial institutions to create secure customer profiles and intentional, relevant experiences for customers. Whether in-app, on-site, in-branch, or anywhere else, BlueShift Smart Hub CDP helps brands like LendingTree and ClearScore turn data into personalized experiences that increase retention, satisfaction, and revenue. Learn more about BlueShift at blueshift.com forward slash 11FS.
0: Hey, folks. Over here at 11FS, we're still working hard to build the next generation of financial services, and our team is growing quickly. So we're looking for a bunch of new 11s to join us. If you or someone you know is up for a new challenge and a bit of a fintech nerd like us, check out the roles in consulting across product, engineering, design, delivery, and strategy. You'll find all the details at 11fs.com forward slash careers. All right, folks, let's continue the conversation by looking at digital transformation in the financial industry. What what is it that's really happening on the business model side? And actually, is this the is it really the the last thing to to dramatically be changed? Because we've seen distribution change, we've seen manufacturing of products change, we've seen, you know, channels of choice be disrupted and you know, branches sort of rescinding a little bit and mobile rising so dramatically. Um but are we really seeing business model transformation? Are we seeing, you know, net interest margin being changed to, to not being the most predominant? I, I mean, I, I spoke to a board uh, two weeks ago and I, I asked them, it's like, what percentage of your revenue is coming from not Uh, you know fees based on net interest margin because that has to be the seeds you're growing for tomorrow when it comes to the changes that you're going to see in the industry because many of the financial services uh, revenue models are predominantly based on you know punitive charges it's you know overdraft fees it's using products in the way that you would want to use them, but sort of being penalised for for doing so to a certain degree. Whereas actually, we're seeing different industries using, uh, you know, data as a as a predominant uh, you know revenue generator or you know SaaS based product service models where the trade off between the fee you're paying and the service you're getting is is you know very evidenced. But, I mean, where do you think we're going to get on this one, Tim? You know, starting with, uh, I guess, looking at something like an open banking or an open finance. Um, how do you think that data and the opportunities that that data really sort of brings from that will, will really sort of change
2: the industry? I think one of the, the difficulties in changing organisational culture is the fact that a lot of people within these organisations are super sceptical and need evidence to be able to change, um, which also becomes a bit cyclical because how do you produce the evidence unless you've done it and you can't change until you've produced the evidence? Um, but I think what we'll see over time with the way that the, the market is moving and the fact that organizations are having to respond to certain forms of disruption, that almost by default, certain elements of, of cultural transformation are happening in small pockets within these organizations. Over time, you know, you'll you see some big wins coming out of those that will then be leveraged uh, if if thought through effectively, which is you know another problem, but if they leverage those case studies effectively to drive cultural transformation um, and used as a key asset or just a key enabler of cultural transformation, then that's that's one way of going about it. Um, but fundamentally, I think we're seeing particularly in light of COVID, I guess uh, a real change in our attitudes to work, right? And I think that that will continue to drive certain elements of the conversation you know I read last week that in Iceland they've piloted a, a four-day working week um uh successfully right uh, I mean I'm not sure the four-day working week will ever come into consulting but I think that in uh, in general you know there's 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 stuff being trialed out there um that is of interest and the only way that that we can largely learn is is, is by doing right um and that's quite difficult because I think when it comes to any form of transformation in organisations. Uh, or innovation, right? Is You're asking people to think outside the box when largely most of the organization is trying to put you in a box. I mean, that's, 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 that's organizational control theory. That's what happens, right? So we have this massive tension between individual autonomy and organizational control. And that's the schism um, that over time, we need to find a way of breaking. And I think we need to see New business models coming in to accelerate the the shift away from pure organizational control, more towards organizational empowerment.
3: Mm.
0: What do you, what do you think, Janine? I mean, like say open banking, open finance, there's there's so much potential in that to to sort of disrupt what the product is to a certain degree, which should lead to lots of different opportunities from a business model perspective.
3: Huge potential. Uh, And I would have cited open finance, open banking, really, as one of the key drivers behind that, because suddenly you're in a very different environment in terms of looking at data, access to data, and then utilizing that uh, and creating a, a... a different business model, so to speak. I think there is also some other technologies that are really driving some of these shifts that we're seeing. So if you look at, for example, blockchain technology as well, biometric authentication as being, we're seeing more and more uh, companies adopt that and really, really supporting a shift in their business model or improving some of their other processes. I think process automation is another one because you can match that ultimately with an increased flexibility, a reduction of cost, and then you're suddenly looking at a very different foundation or very different basis on what to do business on. So it, it I definitely would point to some of these these major steps forward, including open finance, including open banking, but also just the new technologies that are being created over the past few years that have caused companies to take stock of their current business model and are inspiring a whole host of new of new models or new opportunities that are out there as well.
0: Mm. And it it changes that that really does change what it means to be a bank, really, doesn't it? You know, and actually that's, uh, that's such a, uh, an exciting thing, you know, actually I do, um, I do sort of often say this to people. It's like banking must've been really boring like 25 (laughs) years ago when, when actually everybody was just, you know, creating the same types of products and distributing them in the same type of way. But I mean, Sam, for, for players like yourself, like, you know, this isn't just a manufacture your own products and distribute your own products through your own distribution channels. It's actually much broader than that. You know, the opportunities that, you know, platform plays brings about in the market to, to really rethink how you how you manufacture, how you distribute, who you distribute for, you know, all of these things are, I mean, it's a strategic headache when you're trying to run a bank, I imagine, with all of these different <laughs> things to kind of think about. But all of these are also amazing opportunities.
4: No, that's absolutely right. You know, Janine touched on a point, which is there's, there's so much innovation going on out there. Uh, the build by partner is just so much easier in 2021 than it was in 2020 and so much easier in 2020 than it was in 2019. And when I say so much, I mean exponentially easier. Um, and uh, at a minimum, you have an ability to emulate someone who is doing it better, who may be outside of the, the, the bank charter and the regulatory environment, who's backed by a lot of venture capital money and thinking about innovation in a very different way. Um, you know, I think that, you know, overall, from a digital transformation perspective, the key word is transform. And I think that, you know, it kind of uh, the word, the digital transformation sort of, um, you know, uh, you know name has been around, I think for too long and people are starting, lost focus on the words that are there. And I think the key was, you know, digital, you know, has a little bit of a negative connotation because it goes back to the digitization of paper-based, you know, to paperless. Transformation, people have forgotten the word transform, and I think it's really just an element of, uh, for most folks in the financial services industry, getting to table stakes levels, uh, which is going to be, uh, which means that 99% of the, uh, you'll be in, in, you know, in, uh, on par with the incumbents, but 99% of the new entrants are going to be better than you. Um, and you'll just say, that's okay, I'll catch up eventually, but that mentality, you'll always be behind because they're innovating faster than you can catch up. So, you know, I think that that's the mentality that we've taken at at customers bank is to focus on on transform and to go going back to one of our conversations earlier on on focus on the customer. um, You know, we we had an an offsite, you know, recently with some senior executives and we talked about um, access to real live data and making data driven decisions. And, you know, we asked the question, uh, open, transparent question amongst your peers, how many people are. Our how many executives are actually changing what they're doing on a daily basis because of access to real-time data? Crickets in the room for a tech-forward institution who's first had a data warehouse five years ago and all these analytics and then, you know we have all these team members who all they're doing is creating reports and analysis and machine learning, all these different things that we're doing. Take a step back. And we have, to, we use it as an opportunity to, you know, we, we haven't, we've implemented OKRs, objectives and key results at our organization, you know, going back to the Google and Intel that, that we're, we have a goal, a company goal and the 12 month goal that our team members are first, all of them will have access to real time data, relevant real time data. And the second is that they will make daily decisions based on real time data. So to go back to a traditional example that everyone knows when Wells Fargo got knocked on the side of the head for the widget manufacturing for cross selling that, that, you know, that, that, that the, the focus on not just cross-selling or cross-buying and multiple products that, are, that a that a person may have, but really getting people to focus on customer acquisition costs, unit economics, and and really thinking about what is the next product that they should give this customer either a because it's what they need or b because it's the most profitable. This is all common sense. It sounds very simple, but it's not how banks are built. And I think that new way of thinking is is uh, is you know is is it's few and far between let's just leave it at that
0: yeah common sense ain't that common is it sometimes yeah. <laughs> it's uh, it's quite a bizarre thing it's um it's, it's interesting that that point you made around transformation I, I do think there is there is a real a real point in that which is i mean i, I was talking to um, a lady last week uh, very senior in a, a u.s bank she said the the problem that we have is we we continually go from a caterpillar to a chrysalis to a caterpillar and we're forgetting the point that we need to become a butterfly. And I was like, "That's the most beautiful way I think anybody's ever <laughs> kind of put that in the in the sense." Of, because essentially, it's this it's, it's the, the thing. It's actually every transformation that's invested in is because of some return. You know, the ROI needs to be significant enough to to justify that change. But actually, almost the, the way in which people are doing these transformations is not leading to that return. And and like you say, Sam, it could be a return that is, you know, people need to be, at, like, again, Tim, your your point on culture, it's just how people act on a day-to-day basis. So if the investment that you're having changes how people act and what they do on a day-to-day basis, you're winning. That's, that's the point. Um, I think, Sam, you touched on a, a little bit of a point there about partnerships as well. Um I I'm, I don't know what's wrong with me today. I'm coming out with all the the weird weird and wonderful laterals. But my dad used to say you like the sum of the parts of the people you hang out with. <laughs> you know, partnerships and actually the ways in which you you work with different providers and different things. I mean, how much does that help with kind of accelerating change in that space? Because, you know, you you can you know whether it's technological advancements or even if it's you know cultural osmosis in terms of the the people that you work with, it can make quite a big difference.
4: No, absolutely. Um, you know, uh, partnerships have been the key at how we have been tech forward. You know, at the, at the end of the day, we have a traditional core provider, but we've we've created a you know a partnership with technology providers to 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 make sure that we've created proprietary middleware wrapped around the core that gives us real time access to our data. Same goes for how we started our, our our personal loan business just a couple of years ago, which is now ten percent or so or north of that of, of our balance sheet, is through partnerships. So folks who are niche players focusing on this, they wake up in the morning, they go to sleep at night, they dream about it, this is all they do and I think that that's, that is very uh, you know, very beneficial for banks to think about partnerships it 's not how many logos that you have on the page because I think that's again the, some of the challenges that we see as i've seen. You know bank investor presentations that we have so we have twenty three fintech partnerships. Well, what does that mean? You know a fintech partnership can help you make a phone call um, or it can help you completely transform the way that you do do business. So I think that uh, it, like like I said before, the the partner um, the build in a build by partner analysis, the partner angle is 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 singing uh, you know very loudly, and it's it's very beneficial to banks. The one thing that I will say is that venture capital money is pushing, Technology providers to more owning the customer relationship themselves, um, which is not as conducive. So it's competing more with the banks as opposed to collaborating more with the banks. Now, so one of the things that we've been thinking about is how can we start getting some of these, uh, you know, fintechs to either, you know, partner with us on a more bespoke basis, um, which can help create a new enterprise, you know, focused uh, business line for them or really just. Um, Going out and doing it ourselves, which is something that we're we're thinking about doing right now with a a, a data, you know, a data contribution along with a, um, you know, a a merchant provider and really thinking about how can we change the underwriting model, say, of, uh, of underwriting small business loans online.
0: Very exciting i mean all all of that leads to again opportunity right it's uh, it's a bit of a different job than it would have been you know 20 25 years ago and and i guess from from here forwards it kind of feels like actually you know the the challenges over the next 3 to 5 years are going to be probably more complex than ever i mean tim what in, in this business model transformation place where we're looking at the new opportunities new model i mean what what do you reckon is going to be the the hurdle from here to there. What's going to be? Do you think the biggest challenge of of people really making this stuff stick?
2: I think um, uh, obviously, I guess I have quite a strong opinion on this one. In the sense that, that that for me, it's it's people that underpin everything, right? Technological transformation is is helping, provides the opportunity, but you need to have the people available and able to to meet that opportunity, right? And I think we therefore need to start seeing a innovation in cultural transformation rather than just innovation in in technology alone, right? I think we need to have organizations, as we are seeing now, starting to appoint senior-level colleagues who are responsible for changing the culture of the organization and, and, and more importantly, empowered to do so and given permission to play, not just a right to play. and I think when we start innovating culture within these traditional organizations, that will translate through to, to all these other benefits that can be underpinned by, you know, being more customer centric, having better products, having better uh, talent development. All of this can be underpinned by having uh, a better culture. But organizations need to recognize that that is significantly hard work that you can't just do by incentivizing innovation. You have to find ways to change the company experience through uh, through experience.
0: Completely agree. Janine, what do you think? What's the, what's the biggest inhibitor? There's going to be a lot of them, but what's the biggest inhibitor, do you think?
3: Uh, towards towards partnerships or towards in general? Towards transformation around business model,
0: really, in terms of the, I guess, pulling all of the things that we've pulled together inhibit under that, that business model piece. But what, what do you think is going to be the, the, the biggest pullback for, for banks making it happen?
3: Well, this is maybe a cop-out answer but I, I feel like it's a little bit of everything that's been mentioned because i, I think the partnerships piece is so important Right. If we're looking to see large scale uh, transformation of the sector, we need to see those partnerships. And I mean, this is something we focused on in the Khalifa review as well. So looking at actually incentivizing some of the big institutions, whether that be through, say, tax incentivizations, et cetera, to, to whet their appetite to create some of these stronger partnerships as well. But I also agree wholeheartedly with what Tim is saying with regards to you've got to innovate on a cultural basis and on a people basis as well, because so much of real change is down to having the mindset and enabling the people within companies who want to change to do so Uh, and not just make it a right but actually give it an opportunity and and really make sure that that mindset is is across the entire organization so I would say it's a it's a bit of everything so so to speak
0: it's really true I mean it's 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 hard to it's really hard to argue with that I mean Sam you know this is at the heart of the things you're trying to do right now I mean when you sit back from your objectives and the changes you're looking to do what do you think is the biggest threat to those things right now is it just time is it competitors is it budget what's what do you think is the the biggest threat to it
4: yeah you know it's it's it it, there is an element a huge element of prioritization you know i think you know agree with with tim and janine on 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 the, the points they made but you know there are so many things that you feel that you can do and what is roi is roi revenue is roi a better customer experience um, and for banks, banks don't think like that, and that goes back to you know Tim's point about the people and the culture. So it's it's making sure that you kind of help define what a a roadmap looks like. You know, we pride ourselves in being extremely fast. Um, you know, we we just signed up for uh, you know with a uh, a blockchain payments partner, and and and, ta- and we're launching a you know real time payments B two B service uh, with tacit Pay in in the fourth quarter of this year, sort of in the next ninety days or so. That was a pretty quick turnaround for us, you know, call it three to six months. Um, now, uh, a typical bank might take twelve to eighteen months, um, you know to do to do a ramp up like that. So part of that is making sure that you have the vision um, as an an entire organization. that can't be driven by one, two, or three people or a board. It needs to be across the organization, they have to live and breathe it. But then making sure that, you know, to really compete as a bank, you have to think ahead of where the industry is going, not where the industry, where the best of the industry is today that you want to catch up to because you will already be behind going back to your caterpillar, you know, type, type analogy. And I think that's what, the way that we're thinking about say payments as an example, our customers are not asking for real-time payments, but we know once they have real-time payments, they will say, how did we ever live? On an ACH or legacy real type platform.
0: Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? It's uh, it's often the the uh, getting those underlying capabilities in place that really help you then, you know, catalyze and, and move forwards to to more and more things. I love it when we have such a smart panel on. I don't think I could add anything to that. I really do agree with everything that you said. I think it's this is always a. Uh, a, a sort of a tapestry of things that need to be the conditions for success in this sense. Uh, it's not, never just one thing. It's why companies with the biggest budgets aren't always the ones that are most successful. It's the ones that actually have all of these recipes in place that that really get it right. On that note, though, we are going to have to wrap up. It's been a bit of a whistle-stop tour. I know we could probably unpick one of these subject matters for at least an hour all on its own, but we're going to have to wrap up today's discussion. Thank you so much for everybody for joining us. Uh, where can people learn a little bit more about you Uh, and what you do. Janine, where can people learn about Innovate Finance a little bit more?
3: Well, reach out to me directly or anyone on our amazing Innovate Finance team or at InnovateFinance.com on our website.
0: Fantastic. Sam, where can people learn a little bit more about you and the journey you guys are on?
4: Sure, absolutely. Our our company's website is customersbank.com. You can find me on LinkedIn um, and our company on, on every social media platform.
0: Very good. Tim, where can people learn out more about you?
2: Uh well I'm on the LinkedIn thing so people can find me on there. Uh, I post some moderately uh interesting stuff from time to time. Um so uh yeah feel free to follow me on there. Um and I'm assuming people know about 11FS already because they're listening to the podcast. <laughs>
0: Fingers crossed. Uh, As for me, uh, you can find me over on LinkedIn predominantly these days as well. Uh, Thank you very much for listening, everybody. We do appreciate you joining in. If you have, you liked what you heard, then subscribe to this podcast and don't forget to leave us a review. It super duper makes it easier for other people to find the show as well. As always, if you want to join the conversation, you can find us pretty much on every social media channel at this stage, or you can email us at podcast at 11fs.com. Thank you very much for joining us, everybody. Goodbye. Keeping up with all the noise and news from the world of financial services isn't easy. It's easy to get lost in buzzwords, jargon, and industry speak. So sometimes you just need a quick human rundown of the biggest stories. Well, you are in luck. Sized is our very own weekly newsletter that takes the biggest news stories from financial services and tells you exactly what's happening, why it matters, and what comes next. Bitesized goes out every Friday at 11am, so you can enjoy it with a coffee as you wrap up your week. Stay up to speed with the fast-moving world of financial services and subscribe today at 11fs.com forward slash newsletters. That's 11fs.com forward slash newsletters.